0: Good morning. Today we're reading from, uh, as Dave said, from 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways, they turned aside after dishonest gain. And accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said... This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots." Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain And of your vintage, and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants, and the best of your cattle and donkeys. He will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king... You have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, Listen to them and give them a king. There was a Benjamite, sorry, and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, Everyone go back to your own town. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekerath, the son of Aphia, of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Now we'll read from chapter 9. Verse 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of Philistines. I have looked on my people Their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, "This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people."
1: Thank you, Candice. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, If you haven't met me, my name is Noel. I'm uh, part of the ministry leadership here. I volunteer leader as in the ministry area. Yeah, we've got that up, great. Let's pray. Father God, as we come now to hear from your word, fill us with your spirit that our hearts are open to hear and receive. And Lord, may your word have its way among us, change us and transform us to be more like Christ. And Father God, may my words be your words. May I speak no untruth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well... Quite a few of you here know a little bit of my story, some of you might know, might not know and um, before coming to Trinity I actually served in the Lutheran Church as a pastor for 21 years, the last 14, nearly 14 years at Good Shepherd Paravista just up the the hill on Monaco Road and at the end of 2016 I finished up there after being there 14, nearly 14 years, uh, serving as senior pastor for the last seven or so of that and I stopped work because of health reasons and don't have time to explain them now but suffice to say it was serious enough that I didn't feel I could keep working and the plan was I was going to take home on all the domestic household duties and my wife would continue to work full-time. Now you can imagine that going from being a leader of a large church with a school attached and people around you all the time to being full-time house cousin required a little bit of adjustment on my part. For the first... Short time, I loved the fact that no one was bothering me. I had peace and quiet and I could rest. But as time went on, lots of interesting uh, thoughts and emotions started um, coming up. Um, And I was being confronted with all sorts of questions like, you know, who was I now that I didn't work as a pastor? What value did I actually have as a person now that... I didn't do this kind of work that uh, helped people and um, you know, made a difference in their life. What value what did I have now? And if I'm honest, there was even a really unsettling fear underneath had I actually failed God because I'd stopped doing the very thing he called me to do years earlier. Now, here's the crazy thing. As a pastor, I'd spoken into these questions to other people's lives all the time. But now I've happened to face them for myself. And they weren't just rhetorical questions I was asking to apply a sermon text. They were very real questions. And God, in his sense of humour, decided to confront me with my own words. Noel, do you actually believe all those things that you said to the people? Do you actually believe that I love you and I accept you, not because of anything you do, not because you're a pastor, but because of everything I've done for you through Jesus? Noel, do you believe your value has nothing to do with what you do as a human being and produce, but everything to do with that you're my child and I've claimed you? Do you believe that I'm enough for you? Do you believe that what I promise you in Jesus is enough for you? You know, I think that's a question that we all wrestle with in our faith journey at some time. Is God actually enough? whether it be to do with purpose and meaning and significance in life or is God enough to get me through this next challenge I face? And as we look at the Bible reading today, I think this is the question the Israelites were facing. Now, to be fair to them, they were facing a much bigger challenge than I was. They were facing the threat of an invasion by the Ammonites. So that kind of puts my little self-absorbed thoughts about self-worth and value into perspective. Um, So this is what they were facing. And that kind of threat wasn't anything new for the Israelites. Um, But why it was on their minds now is that their leader, Samuel, who had successfully led them against previous invasions, he's getting old. And they don't have any successful leader in place to follow on. Uh, Samuel had tried appointing, appointing his sons, but we're told then that um, it didn't work out. They didn't have his character or integrity. And so we said his sons did not follow his ways. Whoops. His sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. The elders were right to be concerned, weren't they, about what was going to happen after Samuel died. Now as you read through the history of Israel up to this point, you see a pattern emerge where the nation of Israel is um, threatened, oppressed, even enslaved by another nation and then God comes to the rescue, usually by raising up a leader who leads them out of this threat and you can actually trace this back to when Moses led them out of Egypt so with Samuel's impending death, you would think with that in mind that the natural question would be, who's God going to raise up for us this time? Who's, how's God going to come through for us now? Or to frame it in that question about, is God enough? Will, how is God going to be enough this time to deliver us from this looming threat of the Ammonites? To me, that seems the obvious question. Yet based on what the Israelites ask, or maybe more so demand from Samuel in our reading today, it would appear that if they did actually ask this question, they concluded, no, God isn't actually enough. And why do I say that? Well, I say that based on what they ask for. And that's my first point. That is, when God is not enough, we add something. Look at what they demand from Samuel. You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. They doubt, seriously doubt God's going to come through for them. He's not going to give them a suitable leader. So they demand a king. And they don't demand just any old king, but they say one like the other nations around them. When we doubt God is enough, We're always tempted to add something to the picture. And we go, what am I going to add? So we look around at the world around us. We look at the wisdom of the world. And if that seems to fit, we put that into the equation. And the Israelites looked around and go, how are the other nations dealing with this threat of of being conquered? And they go, they've got a king. That's the answer. And they go, Samuel, give us a king now. As we see later, A king wasn't necessarily the problem, but rather the kind of king they were asking for. And we do the same. When we doubt God is enough to meet our needs or to get us through a particular challenge in life, we're tempted to add something. And often what we add, when you look at it by itself, there's nothing wrong with it. But it's the way we use it to fill the gap that we think God's leaving. You know, when we doubt that God's plans and purposes are enough to satisfy us, we add the pursuit of something like, say, a career, or it can be the pursuit of material possessions, or the pursuit of uh, pleasurable experiences. Nowadays, there's a whole thing of you've got to you know, go experience life to the full, travel the world. That's what's going to make your life meaningful. Or the pursuit of a relationship. And none of these things, as you look at them individually, are necessarily bad, but it's the way we use them to place of God, to give our lives meaning and purpose. And I've got to confess, that was what I was doing with my work as a pastor. I thought my value was connected with what I did, not what God said about me. So you take away the work and suddenly I felt useless. When we don't trust God is enough to meet our material needs, we try and add to what God's given us. Well, actually, we don't add, we keep. We hoard what he generously gives us and we don't want to give any of it away because we think, what if I need it? Rather than trust that God will give us enough. The other thing I think we always add when we don't feel like we've got enough is worry. (laughs) We worry about, will I have enough? And we add worry to any of life's challenges. When we don't trust God's enough to meet our relational needs, particularly if you're searching for a marriage partner, you go, if I don't find one, will God be enough? We can be tempted to add that to that. We can be tempted to drop our gaze and, and get involved with someone who doesn't share our faith, who's not a Christian. We can even be tempted to lower our standards and go, maybe I should give in to the sexual advances so I can attract a partner. And you know what? We can even doubt God is enough to save us from our sins. When we have a hard time trusting that Jesus' death on the cross is enough. We can wrongly believe that we've got to add living a good life and doing good works, you know, so that the cross plus our good works will get us in right with God. Do you see how it works? Whenever we're tempted that God's not enough, we add something. Where are you being challenged in your life right now to trust that God is actually enough? And how are you going with that? Can you see that maybe you're trying to add something to God because you're doubting that he's going to come through for you? So what happens when we add something to God? Well, let's look at the next verse in our Bible reading, verse 6. We read, I'll read the first verse leading into it. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So they prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Israel's request for a king to lead them like the other nations was ultimately a rejection of God as their king. And so that's the second point. When we add something to God, we reject him as our king. When we doubt God is not enough, so we got this problem and we go, God doesn't feel that. He's only to there. And we add something and we think we're putting it in that gap. It doesn't actually work like that. Whatever we try to squeeze in, it actually becomes the whole thing. And we re- kick God out of the place of being king. We actually replace God with whatever we think is going to do the job to fill that need we have. And Israel was replacing God when they, they wanted an earthly king. They were booting God out of that job. Why? If you know anything about what the Bible said about a promised king, you're going, why was God so upset about a king? Didn't he actually say they were going to get a king earlier on? If you were in the community group this week, you would have looked at this passage from Deuteronomy 14. Um, this is part, God says to the Israelites, years and years earlier than this incident, through Moses, he says, when you enter the land the Lord has given you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, Be sure to appoint over you a king, the Lord your God chooses. And then picking up in verse 18 of that same chapter, when he takes the throne, that's the king, the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. So God's actually not opposed to the whole idea of having a king, but rather the kind of king they were asking for. They said, we want one that rules over us like the other nations. The king described in Deuteronomy was a king who would actually take the lead from God, who himself would trust that God is enough, who wouldn't rule in place of God, but rather under God's authority. That's the kind of king described there. But they said, no, we want a king like the other nations. What do the kings of the other nations look like? Well, many of them actually considered themselves actually gods, or at least equal to gods. So if you want a king like that, and you put that in place, you're saying to God, we no longer want you as our king. We want this earthly king. And there's also a problem for the reason they're asking for a king. So we, at the end of verse 19 in verse 19, they say this in response to the warning Samuel gives them about what a king is going to mean for them. They insist and they go, no, we want a king over us. Then we will be like the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. They wanted a king because they believed it would ensure they would remain safe and be able to ward off their enemies. My question is, isn't that what God had been doing up to this point? Absolutely. And why would God suddenly stop doing that? He wouldn't. God hadn't changed, but somehow the Israelites had changed their thinking about God. They'd stopped believing he was enough, so they added a king. And in doing that, they rejected God as their king. When we doubt God is enough, and we fill that gap, we think that God's leaving with something else. In that area of our life, We're rejecting God as king and we're replacing it with whatever we think is going to fix it. And Jesus warned us and he put it this way, he said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When we try to add something because we doubt God is enough, invariably we end up serving the thing we add rather than god we replace god as jesus says it can be money you know when we doubt god's enough to give our lives meaning and purpose and we go i've got to pursue a career we get a few years down the track and we go oh the career's taken over everything god's been pushed out it can be a relationship it can be the approval of others it can be the pursuit of a hobby the pursuit of amazing experiences We can even allow what we think is unimportant, the things we reach for comfort and security to kind of push God out to help us through. You know, those things we reach for like food and alcohol and drugs and shopping and online gaming, pornography, new thing that's come out, binge watching of TV series on Netflix, guilty, no, yes. I love it, don't we? Good escape. But as you take an honest look at your own life, Are there things in your life that, when you think of that area, "Mm, God's not really having much say in there. I've allowed this other thing to push God out of that. Now, here's my question. What do you believe you're going to gain by having that thing in your life other than God? What do you think that will give you that God can't? And that's a really important question to answer because... When we add to God, we lose what we hope to gain. The very thing you hope to gain by pursuing that thing or allowing that to call the shots in your life, you will invariably end up losing. And we see this with the Israelites. Listen to what Samuel does, says to the Israelites from verses 11 to 18. It's a fair slab, but I'd like to read it to you. He says, "'This is what a king who will reign over you will claim as his rights.'" He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. They will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plough his ground and reap the harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take hear that word take a lot he will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use he will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves when that day comes you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen but the lord will not answer you in that day the israelites thought that by adding a king it would ensure their safety Just like we thought adding lots of salt to the quiche would ensure it tastes better. But Samuel makes it very clear. Nothing is beyond the reach of a king and he will take. He will take your children, your personal property, even your own freedom. Kings take, take, take and take and when there's nothing more to take, they force you to serve. And so Samuel says at the end, you yourselves will become slaves. And I think to make matters worse at the end of this warning, Samuel says... And even worse when you cry out to God for deliverance from the king you chose I'm not going to help you on that day When we add something to God because we doubt God is enough we lose what we hoped we would gain Has this happened in your life somewhere The thing you've added the thing you added to your life you think oh I'm going to just focus on my career that's going to really make it my life worthwhile and meaningful You've got a little way down the path now and you're going, this has become a master of me that I don't like. My life's terrible. We can probably apply a whole lot of other things to that question. So what can we do when we doubt that God is enough? What can we learn from this? Well, I've got three things I want to suggest and none of them are earth-shatteringly new, but the first one is remember when you're faced with the question is god enough whatever you're facing and you're tempted to grab hold of something to fill the gap stop remember remember how god has come through for you in the past maybe you remember even remember how he's come through for others remember that in samuel first samuel 12 that chapter at the end of it this whole section the Israelites and the new king recommit themselves to serving God wholeheartedly. And at the end, this is the warning Samuel gives them. He says, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. That last line, consider what great things he's done for you. He's saying, remember, because that's the only way you're going to stick to serving God wholeheartedly and not adding something else into the mix. When I first uh, began a Senior pastor in my last church. The first thing I had to deal with was find some staff we desperately needed. Key roles were vacant, and after two months of desperately searching and looking in a whole lot of different networks, I'd come up with nothing, and it was really desperate. I had no idea where I'd find the staff we needed, and so I prayed one of those prayers that maybe you relate to, where you go, "God, help!" (laughs) And I said, "God." I feel, I, I did bargain with God, sorry, I have to confess. I said, God, I feel you called me to this role, but I can't do it by myself. I need staff and I can't see anywhere possible that this is going to happen. And I actually used these words. I said, God, it's going to have to be a miracle. Two days later, an email out of nowhere came from a high-caliber experienced person who was looking for a half-time position to supplement another half-time role he was doing. We met... Interviews took place. They came on staff and that person was an absolute godsend and came on full time a short time after that. And God actually provided the other staff over the next few months that we needed. Every time after that, I needed staff. I've got to confess, I often worried first. But then I'd remember and I'd pray, trusting that God would provide. When you're tempted to doubt God is enough, remember Remember how he's come through for you in the past. Sometimes that can be hard to do in a certain situation. That's why we need each other. Part of remembering is coming together like this and remembering together. You, you mightn't have a specific thing that you can remember, but you can hear stories of other people or even stories from the Bible like we do here and remember how God's come through for others. Maybe he can do that for me. We need each other. We need our community groups to remember together, as well as your own personal reading of the Bible and prayer. And the second thing, I pretty much said it, is to pray. Remember and then pray. And I highlight this because this is where I think the Israelites went wrong. They were faced with a valid challenge. What's going to happen after Samuel dies? But instead of praying, they looked around at the nations, come up with an idea and demanded it. What if they actually went to Samuel and said, Samuel, we're really concerned. What are we going to do after you go? We've given it some thought. We think a king might actually work out, but can you seek God for us and let's see what his will is in this? Would have been a totally different way. When you're faced with a problem, do you find a solution and then pray God's going to help or do you pray first and listen and see what comes out of it? And the third one is Wait. I was really blessed to have God answer that prayer in two days for staff. But believe me, in subsequent years, he made me wait a heck of a lot longer. And sometimes he didn't answer it, but then later you see why. But God keeps us waiting. And um, I don't know about you, but I'm really impatient. And the longer God makes me wait, the more vulnerable I am to trying to fix it myself and push God out of the answer. And um, we can be really tempted to do that. Where's God asking you to wait in your life right now? If you got a problem that, need, you know, God, why haven't you helped sort this problem out? Maybe it's to do, maybe you're looking for a job. Maybe uh, it's your health. Maybe it's a relationship issue. What do you do when God keeps waiting, keep you waiting? I think you keep doing the first two points. You keep remembering and you might need to do that with others and you keep praying and keep your eyes fixed on God. I think one of the biggest confronting verses in today's reading for me was the one I read earlier. And it speaks about God's response to the Israelites after they chose a king. And um, it's this one. It says... No, actually, I don't have it up on the screen. It's, it's verse 18. It says, When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Israel's demand for a king causes God not to listen to him in that day. I don't know about you, but I find that a very sobering and challenging verse. And it points to the reality that when we replace God as king in our lives, God doesn't stop us. And God will allow the consequences of those choices to play out in our lives. He will allow us to experience the pain of those choices And the fact is, some of you might be in that place right now. You're experiencing the pain of a mess that actually, if you're honest, is of your own making. Does that mean God's mad at you? Does that mean God has given up on you? Does it actually mean God is punishing you? The answer is no. It doesn't. Just as God is enough to get you through any challenge in life, God's grace to you in Jesus is enough to bring you through the mess you find yourself in because you tried to replace him with something else in your life. God will allow you to suffer the pain of your choices, but he's not doing that to be spiteful or vindictive. Rather, he allows that to get your attention, to draw you back to his love and his grace. God's grace is so great that it can reconfigure and redeem the biggest messes we find ourselves in. I mean, look at what God does with Israel's sin of rejecting him as, you know, asking for a king and rejecting him as a king. Next week in chapter 12, we'll see that God firstly actually forgives Israel for this sin. He doesn't answer them in one day, but he definitely goes on and he forgives them. And then through Samuel, God graciously actually gives the new king Saul and the people direction about how this new kingship can operate in a way that keeps God as king over them now Saul doesn't do a real good job of this and all the subsequent just about all the subsequent kings struggle in some degree some are better than others David was better but what we see at work here is this truth that God's grace is enough to reconfigure and redeem And God takes Israel's sinful choice and he actually reconfigures it into a saviour. See, the institution of kingship that we're reading about in these chapters paves the way for King David and then King David's descendant, Jesus. In the hands of God, even our failures and our tragically sinful choices can be completely remade into something new and redemptive by God. I mean, look at Jesus' death on the cross. Sure, it was part of God's plan all along. But when you look at it through this lens, the most hideous and sinful act that we could do, God reconfigured it. He used it as the ultimate act of forgiveness and redemption for all humankind. God is enough for whatever you are facing right now. God's grace is enough to get you through the mess you've made for yourself. God's grace is even enough to reconfigure and redeem it so he can work something out of it for his purposes. Perhaps there are some of you here today who are still not sure about all this God stuff and maybe you're thinking, oh, can God really be enough? Well, I imagine if that's you, you're not here today because you had nothing better to do when you're bored. No, no you're here for a reason, i believe god's prompted you to be here you're perhaps searching you got questions um something's missing something's not right maybe you're in one of those messes of your own making wondering how am i going to get out of it could god be enough well why not give god a go why not try and what have you got to lose invite god into your life and, and see what he does if you need some help with that certainly speak to me or pastor stephen after the service is God enough? Absolutely. And that's why we're going to finish with prayer because he is enough and we're going to come to him. And in this prayer, I'm going to include a time of silent reflection because we've, we've touched on some pretty confronting things where if God's confronted you with something, hand it over to him, confess it, ask him to forgive you so that you can experience the more than enough grace that God gives us in Jesus. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on what you've said to us through your word today, we confess that we're no better than the Israelites. We've doubted that you are enough for us. We've grasped at things to feel what we believe is missing. And we acknowledge we've rejected you as king and we've sinned. As we pause for a moment of personal reflection, reveal to each of us the specific ways we've done this in our lives. And um, I'm going to pause now, and as the Lord reveals things, just admit them to God and confess it and ask His forgiveness. Lord, we confess all these things to you, and we do ask Your forgiveness. Fill us the assurance that when we confess our sin, your grace is enough and you completely forgive us because of Jesus and his death on the cross for us. Help us to turn from our sin and to trust that you are more than enough for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.